So we are starting Mark chapter 2 today, and I'm excited. I'm excited about this little mini-series within the book of Mark. Um, we're really going to be focusing on that word religion here for a few minutes. And, you know, when I say that word religion, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You know, is it positive? Is it negative? Because there's a lot around that word, depending on your experience of what you've experienced growing up, possibly within church, outside of church. There's just a, a lot there. But here's what I want to say. It comes from a Latin word that means bind. And so really, it's a, it's a neutral word, but how we apply religion, religion to our lives is, is really whether it's going to be positive or negative. And what we see is, is if you're binding, you know, that word to a list of rules and expectations, it's going to be really difficult. That's kind of the, the religious systems that get created, and we're going to be looking at one of those religious systems here today. We're going to hear from Jesus himself in Mark chapter 2. But a lot of people within those religious systems struggle because now there's these expectations. And really, as we get into this more, we're going to see if you give us a list of rules, we're human, we're not perfect, we are going to fail. We're not going to meet the expectations. If God gave us one commandment, we would all fail at it because we're not perfect. And so a lot of people have just this understanding of about religion that's just really not positive and actually in today when we look at Jesus being opposed for the very first time, we're going to see that it's more in a negative way than a positive way as well. But here's, here's what culture is telling us. Sociologists have defined it this way, that this is the rise of the nuns. And that's not the N-U-N-S. It's the N-O-N-E-S. So if you look at all the surveys of what religion do you affiliate with, the box that gets checked off the most ever in the history of the world, as far as I've been tracking it, is none. And so what we're learning is that these families that are being raised up, they don't really want anything to do with religion. They want to disassociate, disaffiliate with religion. And it's interesting. And what that tells us is we have work to do. Now, partly because of culture, because culture is moving at a pace, at a fast pace. It's the fastest pace I've ever seen of really trying to close off the door to God, and, and culture definitely can have an impact. But are there religious systems that exist that families come into, that families are a part of, and then they have a bad experience, and they really want nothing to do with religion altogether? And you might know somebody, you might yourself have experienced structure, this, this church setting where there was a lot of these expectations and you just couldn't live up to them and it wasn't, didn't end well for you. Well, I'm grateful that you're here today. I'm grateful that we get to hear from Jesus because Jesus wants to deconstruct that. He doesn't want to deconstruct faith, but it has never been about following a list of rules. And we're going to hear from him. And here's kind of the point today that Jesus is greater than religion and we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But as we get into it, let's really take some time and really talk about what the definition of religion is. On one level, religion is just the way we live out our relationship with God. But the word is used as shorthand for a negative approach to God. Religious systems tend to control people's access to God and his blessings. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today. So another way to say this 
is that religion is the way we live out our relationship with God and one another. Yes, we're bound to God and we bind to one another. And really that's how we live out our relationships with one another is really the definition of religion. It's living this out in real space, in real time. But what happens and what we're going to see today is that man is corrupt and you give man a little influence and they start adding things, they start changing, just tweaking things and things start to pile up. And that's where religious systems now can actually create roadblocks from people coming to God and it's controlling how that works. And again, we're gonna see that today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to Mark chapter two. We're gonna first jump in, but we're gonna look at one through 12. We'll start with one through four. Core value number one here at Alpine is we look to God in his word in everything that we do. So let's read this together. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room, no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. All right, so let's go back to this because here's what's happening. And we kind of learned about this last week. Jesus' influence is really growing. So if you remember how chapter 1 entered, he, he was confronted by a leper. And the leper with leprosy said, if you are willing, Jesus, please heal me. And we saw that Jesus was willing, and he healed him. And he said, now don't go tell anyone. But the leper was so excited, now he's cured, and he wants to share this good news. And he goes and shares it with everybody, and now the crowds just swarmed him and Jesus because of the miracles that Jesus is able to perform. So Jesus heads back to Capernaum, and now, again, where he is staying in the house he's staying with a friend we don't really know all the details. Everybody in the community now is just converging because he's teaching. If you remember back in chapter one, it's different than all of the other religious leaders when they teach. This is, he's teaching with authority and people want to hear and people are responding to what he's saying and people are wowed by his teaching. Now let me say this, you don't have to be wowed by my teaching. Jesus is the greatest teacher ever and the words we're going to be looking at are coming from him. But I just... It would have been cool. It would have been really cool to hear Jesus speak truth, God's word out. And we get an opportunity to do that. But to be there to witness that would have been absolutely incredible. And people now converge on this house where he is. And Jesus takes the opportunity to now teach. But it is so full that even the doorway, people are overflowing. That's how many people are in this house. If you are claustrophobic, you wouldn't have done well in this. I mean, this is shoulder to shoulder people. And so now, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So here, they come to the house, and they've been hearing about this Jesus. And they have this paralyzed man, this friend. And they're like, how are we going to get him to Jesus? And I love this. I love this. So in Mark, we talked about how this is the action gospel, that it's more written, more like a movie because it's just jump cutting from one scene to the next. And I love how now the camera focuses in on these four friends. These four friends, they come to this house. 
There's people out, you know, flowing out of the doorways, most likely the windows as well. Everybody's kind of just trying to see and hear Jesus. And now they're like, what are we going to do? And I love it because they don't turn around and say, well, we can't get in. But they come up with a plan. And I would have loved to have been there a part of this conversation. Okay, guys, there's four of us. Like, what are we going to do? And one of them, I have an idea. We're going to go up to the top of the roof. We're going to dig a hole, and we're going to lower him in. Now, let's just put us inside the house for a minute. They start digging a hole. Think about somebody trying to get into one of our services right now, and it's so packed that they go up to the roof. Now, they're going to have to do a lot more because this is not dirt. This would have been an adobe structure. The bottom level was for the animals. They actually had a second story. That's where the family lived, and this is where they're trying to break through. But just think, somebody's trying to get through our roof, now, you got to understand, dirt starts to fall, straw starting to fall, and I, I don't think Jesus was going to get interrupted or this was going to be alarming to him, but what a scene as he's teaching, all of a sudden this dirt and this dust starts just falling to the ground. I love that. These four friends persevered. Like they were not going to not get their friend before Jesus. So they go up to the house. Now, the homeowner's probably like, well, that's going to hurt the resale value, right? <laughs> and they start lowering them in. And I can just imagine G Jesus witnessing and seeing this. Now, he's teaching, and like, it's possible up here on stage to get distracted every once in a while. Because if that were to happen, if that were to happen, I'm kind of relying on some of the teams here, like the safety team. Like, I don't know what this person going through the roof is trying to do. But I got to tell you, this serves no purpose. Like there's no notes up here. This serves no purpose other than it's division between you and me. Now, if I move this to the right, I'm exposed and, and I'm just not comfortable. This is my safety blanket. <laughs> but also, if anything ever happens, I get real skinny and I do this. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to do if ever, anything ever happens. But this is my safety net between me and you. And I can just imagine Jesus seeing this, this man being lowered down. But I love the fact that the friends persevered. They were willing. They were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend who was paralyzed, who wouldn't be able to walk into that building, let alone fight through a crowd to get before Jesus. And this is probably one of the most challenging parts of Jesus' words here today, because I was, as I was thinking about this, who has God put in my life? When I look at my friends, I look at my family, when I look at the people God's put before me, that he wants to use me to get this person before Jesus. And so I just want you to think of names right now as you're sitting here, your friends, especially your non-believing friends, whether it's family, whether it's coworkers. And how does God want to use you just like these four friends to have this willingness within our hearts to go, yes, okay, I got to have, I, I just know I got to be invitational or I got to go out and I got to find out what are their questions about God? What's keeping them from coming to God? And I just love this because that's the kind of friends this paralyzed man had, friends that were willing and they persevered and they did whatever it took to get him before Jesus. And so now... He's been lowered down, and man, they picked the right place in the roof because it says he was lowered right down before Jesus. And so now Jesus is going to speak to the paralyzed man. If you don't know the story, listen to Jesus' words. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, 
your sins are forgiven. I love this. This paralyzed man who has no ability to to walk and to really get to a place other than to be carried to see Jesus is now standing before God in the flesh. And Jesus starts off by recognizing that this man wasn't able to get there on his own and he kind of acknowledges the friends because he goes, seeing their faith, he's recognizing the four friends who had faith. You know, they were doing whatever it took to get their friends before Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is healing. And the word's getting out that he, he can bring healing to people and that's what these friends were doing for their friend. But I want to be very clear it's not the friend's faith is why the paralyzed man was forgiven of his sins. They all had faith. But I love because Jesus, and we're going to see this, he knows what's going on in the hearts and minds of everybody. And he sees the perseverance of what this man has gone through to sit before Jesus and seek healing from Jesus because this is something only God can do. The healing that he needs is something that only God can bring to him. And we see this amazing faith, and Jesus acknowledges it. But then, look, he claims this paralyzed man as one of his own. He calls him my child. You know, when we have been forgiven of our sins, we become, you know, sons and daughters to Jesus, to God. And now, this paralyzed man that is seeking this healing, he's hearing these words from God in the flesh saying, you're my child. You belong to me. Your sins have been forgiven. And I just want us, before we move off of this, and we're going to start getting into the opposition about the religious systems, this paralyzed man has done nothing. He was carried by his friends. They dug the hole. They lowered him down. He hasn't said anything from what Scripture is telling us. And that's the reminder of the condition that we do not bring anything to the, day, to the table. It's faith alone. There is nothing else. It's by faith. It's by believing. The reason he didn't need to do anything for his sins is because he couldn't. But he didn't need to because that's not the way God has orchestrated all of this. It is by faith alone, and we can't miss that point. And this man has been forgiven. He didn't do any one good work because it's not about doing, it's by believing. And Jesus is reinforcing that it is by faith alone, nothing else. It is Jesus plus nothing. And the reason I'm pointing to my chest is because that's one of our T-shirts. Shannon, our, our worship team, is wearing it today. It's Jesus plus nothing. And it's just an amazing picture of God's grace and love. And he has compassion. And he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And this is, the four friends have impacted this to a certain extent because they had faith as well. But now we're going to face Jesus' opposition. Mark 2, 6 and 7. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So at the time, in this house, there were the religious leaders of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they all played an important role. 
And part of what they were doing is they were always protecting that everything that was taught, whether it was in the synagogue or here at a house, that it matched up with the teachings of the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to rip into them in just a little bit, but for now, we need to extend some grace because it would have been blasphemy if it was anyone else other than Jesus, but that's important to know. If this, this would have been blasphemy that mankind cannot just give forgiveness to, for sins. That's something only God can do. And if we go back in this moment, they're still under the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, but Jesus has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But the truth about it is the law was given to expose our sin because we could never be good enough for God. And what the religious system and the religious leaders at the time, they started to add subtle things over and over, and they made it really hard when you made mistakes in life, which we all do, including them. Now you had to go through this process, and so now they're in control of how people are coming to God. They had authority, they had power, they had the ability to teach, and they liked all these things, and they really did see Jesus as a threat. Because man, when people said it was different, and people were flocking. I don't think people flocked to their teachings as much. Not nearly what people are flocking to Jesus. And they have to want to hear what Jesus has to say. And so that's always been the case. That whatever God has given us, this list of rules, we can never measure up. And that's why ultimately Jesus comes to bring victory. Not by anything we do. It's faith alone. But what he did on the cross. And so now... We're going to see Jesus' remarks. So Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So again, there's something that's important to understand here because never does this, the text say that Jesus heard anything about blasphemy. It says he knew what they were thinking. And that is only something that God knows. God knows all of our thoughts. Like we might think we know a person's thoughts in the room, but it's just a guess. And we might be right, but we might be wrong. But God knows our thoughts. He knows our innermost thoughts that go on into our head. And we see God in the flesh experience this, knowing what these Pharisees, these Religious leaders of the law, what they're thinking. And it's a hard issue. It's always a hard issue. He says, why do you question this in your hearts? Because our hearts are where our deepest desires reside. And so Jesus is saying, you know, there's a, there's a disconnect sometimes. But if you really want to know about somebody, you, you need to get into their heart. Because that's where their treasures are. That's what's most important to them. That's their innermost thoughts because it's the heart that guides and lead us, leads us. And Jesus knows this, and he's challenging them. And then he says, it is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Because he's about to do something here. He's about to do something incredible. And he already knows their hearts, and he knows they're stubborn, and he knows, and he says, you know... What I'm about to do is something only God can do. What I'm about to do, if you witness what I'm about to do, most people would believe what he was about to do once they see it with their own eyes. 
And he goes on and he says, so I will prove to you that the Son of God, or sorry, the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So if you go back, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it's the first verse that kicks it off. He says, this is the good news about Jesus. Everything in this book is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. But here, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man, now Jesus refers to himself he is, because he is fully God and he is fully man. He had to become man so that he could die for the sins of the world. And he says, and I, I am the one. I am the one who gives forgiveness for sins. And he says, for you Pharisees, for you scribes, for you religious leaders of the law, I'm about to do something. I want you to watch this. I want you to pay attention because I'm about to do something only God can do. Have you ever heard the phrase, you have to see it to believe it? And Jesus is proving it. He's proving that he's going to do something that only God can do. There is no other explanation. There is no other explanation. And he says, I am going to turn to this man. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And that's what the paralyzed man did. Now, there's no more text in Mark about the religious leaders. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's breaking through the doors of religious systems. These Pharisees and these religious leaders, they kept adding things and they were making it very hard. And you had to go into the temple with a sin offering. And when Jesus came, he came to fulfill it. So no longer because Jesus is establishing his kingdom. And he's proving that he is God. And just, just put yourself in that room because they would have been in the front row when those Pharisees and religious leaders came to the house, regardless of what time, if it was packed, people would have moved out of the way and they would have ushered them right up to the front row because they had authority, they had power, they were somebody. And they used that power to really control people's access to God. This is what's okay to say. This is what's not okay to teach on. You know, everything that is captured in that. And so now we see, and by the way, while I'm on the front row, these, these chairs are open for you guys. Fred, thank you so much every week. I have friends here in this service, my family and Fred, and I love them both. But guys, know that you can sit in this front row. Now, yes, I'll stand back because every once in a while, that's dangerous in the front row, but I'm, I'm grateful because I watch you guys from the back row fill in. I get it, I get it. But let's fill this place out so people have to fit, sit in the front row. But they, they would have heard Jesus. They would have been looking at him. He would have been looking at them. And he is telling them, I'm about to do something. And he does it. He does it. He speaks this truth. And, and this man who now was already healed spiritually now is healed physically. That's what Jesus offers us. Like you might have walked through these doors with just ailments or details of God ever put you in a situation that you have no power to control, even over your own body. There is no power that you can do. But yet Jesus can. He can bring healing to that. It might take a while, but only Jesus has the ability to bring that kind of healing. And I, my heart breaks for those who are just suffering in life because he did not come so that we would suffer. He came so that we could have a rich and satisfying life. 
And it's up to us to really just get our mindset and focus on how are we going to accomplish that life because Paul said at best, it's about contentment. And he said, I'm content if I have a lot and I'm content if I have little. And I'm content if I'm being beaten to death or I'm content when God, you're blessing me. Because this life we have is all about Jesus, but it starts up here and then it flows into the heart and our desire should want to follow and surrender to him. And we see this paralyzed man's life is changed spiritually and physically. And look at the response. Look at the response. Finishing with chapter 2, verse 12, it says, And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They could not believe what they just witnessed. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. There is something different about this Jesus. There is something different. That he's doing things that we've never seen before because he has and is God and he has the power of God and people are overwhelmed and they're stunned except for a very small group in that room the religious leaders. If anyone should have known what it was going to look like when the Messiah came, it would be the ones that just dissected Scripture over and over and over again. They should have been the ones to recognize this is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. The Messiah is here. But they rejected him. But everyone else Jesus opened up their eyes. They said, here's where true healing comes. Here's where my hope is. It's in Jesus. And it's by faith alone. And I just got to share, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, my hope is that you wouldn't fall in that camp of Pharisees, that pride. I really believe pride is the most deadly sin. Because when we think too highly of ourselves, that's pride. And when we think we know more than God, and here was Jesus standing before this packed house, and there was a group of religious elites, as they would be called in their time, and their pride did not allow them to see the one true God, Jesus in the flesh, who performed and did things only God can do. And my hope is that's not you. I pray that you would receive Jesus' words here today. Because he, he wants to bring salvation to you. He created you for this purpose, to be in an eternal relationship with you. That's why you're here. So many people, I, I know there's a, there's a show, I think it's Everyone Loves Raymond, and the little girl says, Dad, why were we created? And it's, it's you know, the crowd's laughing, it's probably a laugh track. But it's, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people would not know how to answer that question. I think we overthink it, we overcomplicate it. We're here because God wanted you here. We're here because he loves you and he has plans for you. And the first plan is for you to receive his gift of salvation. So not only do you experience his relationship here, but for eternity. So many people don't understand that this life is short. This life is short and this life is going to end. But when you are in a relationship with Jesus and Jesus' words himself and John, you can read it for yourselves, is even though you die, you don't ever die. Because I was resurrected, so will those who put their faith in me also be resurrected. And God has a future home. That's God's full plan of here and for eternity. And it's all about a relationship. Religion is not a negative. 
It's a positive, and it's how we bind ourselves to God and with one another. And once we start putting lists of rules and all these religious systems, that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, just turn to me. I'm all you need. Don't turn to church structure of any kind. Turn to me. Now, again, not all church structure is bad. But Jesus has come to me. This paralyzed man was hopeless, and that's a picture of our our spiritual condition, that we just sit before Jesus and allow him and really focus on what he did for us in order for us to be saved. 